When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Looking to expand or move your company? Look no further than Ohio. With a talented workforce for in-demand industries like tech, healthcare, engineering, manufacturing, and more, you can staff up and scale for growth. Ohio's central location and reliable infrastructure will help you impress your customers. While Ohio's affordable cost of living and quality of life will excite your employees. Why survive somewhere else when your business can thrive in Ohio? Visit successinohio.com today. If your big plans this year include your big day, plan your look with Indochino. Customize every detail of a blazer, suit, or tuxedo online or at a showroom with an expert style guide. Then sit back for delivery straight to your door. Suits start at just $449 and premium fitted shirts at just $89. Go to Indochino.com and use code NEWCHAPTER for 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's INDOCHINO.com, code NEWCHAPTER. Psycho killer, qu'est-ce que c'est? Fa 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 fa. Are you from Quebec? I am. Oh, wee wee. Man, singing a psycho killer. Ooh, check myself off. Baguettes. Psycho killer, eat baguettes. Yum 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 yum. There you go. That's it. We've we've number one hit. Number one hit in Quebec. Lay <laughs> psycho killer. Feet baguettes. Feet baguettes. That's how that works. That's not how that works. That's not how any of this works. Oh my god, welcome to Rock Candy. Yay. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats from the world of music, crazy stories, stories that are hard to do research. And it's it's all good times. Yay, we're back. We're back. We're here. We're not queer, but we are back. So <laughs> We're queer friendly. We're queer. Fr- oh, we are very queer friendly. Yeah. It is Pride Month, so happy Pride Month. Yeah. But this band is not a pride band. No. At all. It's a very straight. It's okay, though. Are they homophobic? Not at all. Oh, okay, good. No, no. It's good. It's good. <laughs> and dead. Yes, we are your... We're your queer-friendly hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And this week, we are talking about the band The Talking Heads. No, it's just Talking Heads. It's not The Talking Heads. Just Talking Heads. It's just Talking Heads. And it's really hard to not say The Talking Heads. 
I mean, is David Byrne going to come out and like kick you in the vagina if you if you I don't, say the the talking? He head? does not strike me as the type to be a vagina kicker. Really? No. Yeah. No. He's not. Okay. I've this research has been a journey for me. Because <laughs> like I always get this very um, aloof and standoffish in kind of a bitchy way. Like oh, thing from no, him? those are those are all true. But he's okay. not like a violent asshole. Oh, I didn't or think anything. Would be That's why I. Oh, he's gonna correct you. Yeah, like he's definitely gonna be. Yeah, like, mm, it's just talking heads. It's not the talking heads. Um. Well, actually, we're just it's just talking the, heads. It's, it's just, just talking heads. heads. It's, it's not, not the, the talking heads. heads. But he would never kick you in the <laughs> vagina. So, like, good for you, David Bird, for not kicking I mean, anyone I in the guess, vagina. I guess I, you just—he just metaphorically kick his kick his people in the vaginas. <laughs> yes, we are back at peak form. Yeah, this is that good, good content that uh, you guys love so much. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna be—it's—it's—it's it's, it's gonna be a—it's gonna be a railroad of a ride. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say roller coaster, but I'm like, railroad makes more sense. Because we're going to stop in some towns. And we're, we're just chugging along. We're just chugging along. Yep. Yeah. Before I uh, get super into it, I should shout out this week's beer. Indeed. Which was a lovely, obvious beer. Which is why I got it. Which was like fantastic. <laughs> like, I'm getting this. Because we need to talk about the just, talking heads. Just in case we ever do an episode on the talking heads. And guess what? We did. Again, sometimes it's just easier to be like, I'm going to do an episode on this because we have the beer and it's easy. Right. Sometimes the beer store inspires you. Yeah. <laughs> in Soviet Russia, beer store inspires <laughs> you. But this week we are drinking from Finback Brewing, Wooing, Psycho Killer, an Indian Pale Ale. And it's... It's an IPA. Good. It's a really good uh, summer beer. It has a nice sweetness to it. Yep. I would say it's almost like, there's almost like a caramelization in it. <laughs> Did you just learn that? No, I just made that up. <laughs> I didn't even learn it. I made it up. That's how I roll. Nice. Um. Yeah, it's a very good IPA. If you find it somewhere I would, and you like IPAs, go pick it up. It's tasty. Yeah, and, and it's got a cool can. And Finback is a pretty good brewery. I haven't had anything bad from them yet. No, they haven't done us wrong. So thank yeah. you, Finback. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're pretty good. Yeah. You are. Hey, hey. You're all right, Finback. <laughs> yeah, right. keep you around. <laughs> uh, and as far as this episode goes, I'm going to say I found it frustratingly difficult to find a not super biased source for this band mm. because there's no real autobiographies or documentaries. A few things had been put out by David Byrne himself, but it's really like art house fe- features. Oh, yeah. That's and it, like and his no, wheelhouse. Like, yeah, oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. If you told me that there was a Talking Heads movie out there that wasn't like art house bullshit, I would not believe you. <laughs> well, it definitely would not have been made by the Talking Heads. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. They've released some stuff, mostly David Byrne produced. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's all mostly their performances, which is fine. Like, I got to give them credit in that sense. It's like, who cares about our story? Like, listen to our music. And like, that's cool. But I care about your story. Cool. This is my fucking I, yeah. bread and butter. Right. Right. Like, some of us do care about the story. Yeah. It enhances the music sometimes. Some Actually, there's there's some music enhancing stories in here. See? I feel. I feel like there are. <laughs> it helps. But I, I have to base, I base a lot of my research on interviews articles um there are a couple really good fan sites out there with thorough information which has been great so shout out to the internet 
for being a trusty resource sometimes <laughs> for, when for books and documentaries <laughs> fail. So the Talking Heads were just a group of art kids who wanted to express themselves, finding a common ground in music. No one would have ever thought that they would be able to take punk, dance, funk, and world music, mix them together, and make it work so well. With their unique sound, they set out to make the mundane exciting. Speak singing vocals backed by complicated instrumentation, their music was exactly what the punk scene needed for a little shake-up. And they shook it up so much that it helped pioneer the genre we now know as New Wave. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh new Wave. Ooh. It's so new and so wavy. Ooh. Yeah, it's, it's actually, not a straight line. It goes up and down. Oh my goodness. And it's so fresh, so clean. <laughs> I love New Wave, actually. So it's pretty great. I fucking, I'm, I'm down with this. They would get bigger than they ever would have imagined and have opportunities to grow beyond what they started as. Despite their success, this was also a band of individuals who clearly had different ideas as to what direction they should be heading in. Mm. And of course, egos and feelings got in the way. Surprise, surprise. Feelings. Feelings Useless feelings. Honestly, feelings are dumb and I can just start right in the can. (laughs) Yep. And if you're anything like me, this tale may raise some interesting points and questions that will hopefully be answered within. It was a bit of a little journey for me. A nice little loop-de-loop. It was a little loop-de-loop, but honestly, like, I, I've I've come around to a comfortable stance on how I feel about the Talking Heads and David Byrne and all the members. And Okay. I'm okay with everything. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I'm okay with everything. Okay. I think there's decent explanations. So without further ado... The name of today's subject is Talking Heads. The story of Talking Heads starts in the early 70s at the Rhode Island School of Design. A little band called The Artistics was created and consisted of several members, including David Byrne and Chris Franz. For people who are so artsy, that is a very unoriginal name. Right? But I guess in college in the 70s were The Artistics. Like we're an art house band. We're the art school version of the Arrhythmics. You know they might be though. <laughs> like you say that, and I'm like they might be though. They might be though. Hmm. David, a Scotland native who moved to the states early in life, had been passionate about music since he was a child. When he was five, he taught himself harmonica, and he could play guitar, violin, and accordion all before high school. So he's a bit of a savant as far as music goes. Yeah, I can see that. And funny little fact, he was kicked out of his school choir because he sang off-key. <laughs> little do those fuckers know. I mean, well, like... I mean, does he really sing that no, much? No, but... It, no, he does. What? Mm, mm, mm. I guess they weren't ready for, like, just, like, the shouty, singy kid, yeah. like, just singing, like, twinkle, twinkle, little star, which is a weird mix of me doing David Byrne and Fred Schneider. Yeah. Which... I mean, it's not that off base. It's not that off base. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picturing a small child doing that now, and it's hilarious. I'm just picturing David Byrne with a tiny body, but like a regular size head, just standing on bleachers, just yelling. Like the opposite of when he wore the big suit. Yes. So his head looked tiny, but when he was a kid, he wore a little suit, so his head looked large. He's He's like, he grows up, and he's like, wait a minute, what if... My head is too big. How can I make it look smaller? I'm going to wear a giant suit. Bingo. There, I got it. Nailed it. <laughs> and as far as Chris went, this band was not his first rodeo. 
A few years before, he was in a band that managed to get a residency at the Electric Circus at St. Mark's Place in New York City. Ooh. It was short-lived, however, as the management wanted them to play top 40 hits as opposed to their original material. And, you know, well, like you do when you're an artist, you're like, well, go fuck yourself. Yeah. The artistic shuffled along for a few years, but by 1974, they had disbanded, leaving David and Chris alone to do their own thing, which was apparently moved to New York City and try their hands at the music biz on their own. They would end up living together in a loft apartment. This even included Chris's girlfriend, Tina Weymouth, who supported the guys in all their musical endeavors. So supportive. You know what? Fucking props to the band girlfriends. Honestly, band girlfriends. Thank you. Thank you. I deserve that. You do. You're the one who brings a lot of people to gigs. I do. You're like, my boyfriend's playing. Do you want to come see? It's just like a $5 cover. I will cover it for you. Just come come see see the fucking show. They don't play that much. They're really trying to just break out into the local scene. Seriously. It's been like a part-time job for like 10 years. (laughs) Please, I, I just, I gotta, like, I gotta shout you out on Facebook. Yeah, they didn't have Facebook back then. Yeah, they So imagine didn't. the shit that Tina had to do. Yeah. Well, Tina went above and beyond. She was so Good. supportive yes. that when the guys needed a bass player, she stepped up to the challenge. With David's help, she learned to play bass, picking up the instrument at an impressive rate. Rhythm was something that Tina didn't have much trouble with, as when she was a child, she was in a medieval-themed handbell ensemble. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Right? Isn't that the, like... That is amazing. I want to be in that. Is that, a, is that still a thing? Can I we can play do? Renaissance fairs? I mean, can we, what can else our, are you going to play? Can our job be to tour Renaissance fairs? What else is your job going to be? I don't be? know. It exactly. just, it needs to be that. A church, maybe? Like, Chris, I think Christmas and Ren fairs are, like, your fucking bread makers yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's your bread and butter right there. So already she had the foundations for bass under her belt since she spent time in high school learning folk songs on the guitar as well. Once 1975 hit, they began to rehearse seriously, and it seriously paid off. By June 1975, they were opening for the Ramones at CBGB's under the name Talking Heads. Not the Talking Heads. It's just Talking Heads. Just Talking Heads. They got the idea for the name after looking at a TV guide, which explained the term used by TV studios to describe a head-and-shoulder shot of a person talking as all content, no action. They felt that fit the motif they were going for, you know, in that, like, ironic, artsy way. Yeah. Yeah. Did they not move on stage? No, they moved a lot. So it was just, like... It's just super ironic. A juxtaposition to... It was, I think it was, like, a little jab did. at, like, you know, culture and... Gotcha. Media. Okay. Which they do a lot. Yeah. One could argue that Talking Heads' success can be thanked in part of timing. The late 70s were a time of not just punk, but completely open view to experimental art Mm -hmm. like andy warhol all of just like the drugs and psychedelics of the time but also how it affected music well even in england at that time like susie and the banshees and the banshees um adam ant and the cure and everything Mm -hmm. were starting up so it was happening yeah there was it was a bridge they all got to join like they all got to just cross over that sweet sweet weird post-punk bridge together yeah and then, like everybody was kind of getting sick of punk. Yeah, and it was the experimental. It got a little repetitive. A little bit. So hey, expand your horizons and right. do something a little different. A little different. That's and exactly. And then we have new wave. And then we yeah. have new wave. 
Yep, their early music was classified as punk, but it was always a bit more complicated than your average spike-wearing, anarchy-preaching, harder, faster, messier-playing punks. Yeah. They also wrote much deeper and more complicated lyrics. Sure, they weren't satisfied with the status quo. David would sing about it in a nuanced way. Using satire and metaphor as opposed to just shouting and swearing a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. That gets old after a while. Exactly. That's kind of what I'm saying is the punks scene. The punks scene? I was like, she's not going <laughs> to call me out on that. The punk scene was definitely mad and angry, but I think you can only use so much energy to scream and shout for so long before you're like, I'm really tired. Can we find another way to do this? But also, how many times can you scream and yell about things you're pissed off at and and keep screaming and yelling at about the same shit over and over and over again for years. Exactly. It gets fucking repetitive. Right. So here we have the talking hat. Here we have talk. Oh my God. I'm going to do this the whole (laughs) fucking episode. We're just going to talk like Squizgar the entire episode. We've got talking's heads. The punk scenes. The punk scenes since talking's heads. (laughs) Fuck. But yeah, you have, you have talking heads coming in and saying, we're still not cool with shit. But what if we did it this way? Yeah. And talks like adults. (laughs) (laughs) Talking heads would become regulars at CBGBs, along the likes of Blondie and television, but would not hold on to the label of punks for long. Kind of like the aforementioned Blondie, who we discuss in episode 29, if you are curious about this story. Indeed. They would help create a not-quite-pop not quite punk sound that would soon be called New Wave. The band recorded a few singles for CBS Records, but nothing really sparked the fire until they were discovered by Sire Records in 1976. It happened one night when co-owner Seymour Stein was at CBGB's and happened to hear their set. He ran to the front of the stage for the remainder of it and even helped them break down afterwards. So enamored with their sound, he told them they just had to be on the label. So that's cool. I'm going to help you break down your fucking set and then say, would you like a record deal? That's kind of weird. Like, if I were them, I'd be like, who are you? But I think that's just how it was back then, too. I mean, think about it. Back in the 70s and 60s and probably completely 80s, different. you didn't just hear people. I mean, it's not what it is today. You don't find a SoundCloud rapper. Yeah. You would have to go to shows, like someone's set, and if you like them enough, like, you're thinking, all right, I got to do something to stand out because I imagine people are probably chomping at the bit to sign this band. Yeah. Little do most people know. It's like, no, nobody really cares. Yeah. You just kind of had to luck into having some record label person in right. in the the audience at that time. Now they all just sit behind a desk and listen to MySpace. I don't, I don't even know. think they listen to MySpace. They probably have like thirty assistants. For a hot second, people were being discovered on MySpace. I mean, when MySpace <laughs> it, was a thing, even after MySpace became not a thing, after all the regular people just left, bands stayed on it. Oh, you're right. And yeah. people still discover them. I'm sure it's not a thing anymore. No. Now it's SoundCloud. It's no. all SoundCloud. I think so. And, like, and Bandcamp? Spotify? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We're, not rec- we're not record execs, yeah. so we don't know how you do this. <laughs> we apparently just get into relationships with guys who are in bands. That's what we do. That, that is my M.O. That's so. how we discover new bands. <laughs> <laughs> That's hey, how we make friends. you got a guitar. <laughs> you want to be my friend now? A few months later, they released the single, Love Goes to Building on Fire. And it's like written in a weird way, too, because it's love 
arrow pointing to building on fire, but it's pronounced love goes to building on fire. They would do that. Of course they would. That's so talking heads. It didn't land on any charts, but it was the first step for the band into eventual commercial success. But before they even began to work on a full album, the idea of a fourth member was brought up. Enter keyboardist and guitarist Jerry Harrison. Before joining the Heads, he was a member of a band called the Modern Lovers, whom you may or may not have That's, heard of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Your face. Yeah. 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 I know the Modern <laughs> Lovers are. Well, they were decently known for their single Roadrunner, which I only know of because MIA covers it in Bamboo, Bamboo Banga. Uh-huh. Which, listen to our MIA episode for more on that. God, you're plugging ourselves. I'm plugging us real so hard. But Jerry left the Lovers in 74 after lead singer Jonathan Richman wanted to go for a quieter sound. He's like, mm, we're just too much, guys. I need to chill it out. I want to sleep while guys, I, I need play to music. take a nap <laughs> so much. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> Get out. Now a full quartet, Talking Heads went to work on what would become their debut album, Talking Heads 77. It was released that September to high praise, many believing that they were setting themselves to task and would be able to succeed. And while at the time it wasn't topping any charts, one single would go on to plant them in history. Psycho Killer. Well, wow, that came out that long ago. Right? That was their wow. first, that was their very first foray into commercial success. Well, shit. The story of this tune goes back a few years to art school in 74. Chris and Tina were living in a studio together, working on their art, when David came over with lyrics to a song he was writing. He wanted the bridge to be in French and knew Tina was fluent as her mother was native to France. Chris wrote another verse and together the three of them created a haunting yet catchy song about a serial killer. Very catchy. Very catchy. The song reached number 92 in the Billboard 100, and while many think it's about the son of Sam... The fact that they wrote it so much earlier means that's not possible. Yeah, no. No, not the same timeline, guys. Though the association definitely helped garner them more attention. If anything, I would say that Silence of the Lambs is based on that song. Hmm. Because Hannibal was a killer. Okay. And when he does the fava bean thing, he goes... Oh my god! Right? <laughs> I've never made that connection! Duh. A toy baggie. <laughs> That's so beautiful. So from now on, I'm just going to sing it like, Psycho killer, kiss can say. <laughs> People are like, what? That's how it goes. I'm like, it if does you're Hannibal Lecter, it does. <laughs> Which, by the way, I hate people when they're not polite. <gasps> Wait, is that a lyric? Oh, yes. And that like Here Hannibal Lecter go. eats the rude. There you go. Oh my God. Silence of the Lambs is totally based on this. See? And See? Now, and See? Here's, like, here's the thing. I'm going to be really embarrassed if this is true and everyone's like, yeah, we all knew this, Maggie. Well, I didn't know it either. I just always assumed. But I mean, it's not a and bad And you know assumption. what assuming does? Makes, makes us right. It makes us right. <laughs> yup. And they garnered enough attention to get them over to the UK for a tour and a spot on our favorite TV show, The Old Grey Whistle Test. What? <laughs> Fucking Judas Priest. Yup. The old gray whistle test. That's the one where uh, Rob Halford wore his sister's pink satin shirt, right? You bet your oh, sweet Ruby Tuesday man. starfish it is. <laughs> Good old gray whistle whatever test. Old gray whistle test. What does it mean? It does. It's British. Fucking British. What do your things Ooh. mean? 
Get on the railroad. We're chugging along to the old gray whistle test. <laughs> this sounds like a fucking interdimensional television ad on fucking Rick and Morty. It is. I think that's I, I all think this. That's, ep- that's what this is. I think that's what this episode is. <laughs> that's all I feel right now. And I'm okay with it. All right. It's fine. While in London, they met musician producer Brian Eno and a lifelong partnership Ooh. between him and David was born. 77 wasn't just a good year for the entire band, though. It was a pretty great year for Chris and Tina in particular, who got married that year. Good for them. Right? And spoiler alert, they're still together. If you can be in a band together and be married. And still be married. And still be married 40 years later. 42. No. Is that how math? That is how math works. Oh, my God. 42 years later. Yeah, 42 years later. Like, good for them. First of all, if you can be married for 42 years. Period. Period. Good for you. If you can be in a band, they were in two bands together. And if you which can I will be get to. married for 42 years, still married, in a band together, and in a band with David Byrne. My God. That. That is the fucking. If you want to like know how marriage works, we need to ask Chris and Tina. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. How does marriage work? <laughs> Please, I us. certainly don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I can't figure it out. Brian liked the cut of their jib and saw immense talent and potential in Talking Heads. He came on to produce their sophomore album as well as the two following that. More songs about buildings and food, <laughs> but he thought their sound could use some zazz, some zazz, mostly some funk. This is where we see David's vocal delivery take a stronger turn into jarring yet captivating. Also, the rhythm section of Chris and Tina take a more prominent role, which helped their songs become catchier and more danceable. Mm -hmm. Of the album title, they were apparently throwing around ideas when Tina asked, What are we going to call an album all about buildings and food? And Chris replied, We could call it more songs about buildings and food. (laughs) I mean, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. I mean... (laughs) Still funny. I still think I could hang with them. Yeah. The cover art of the album is a photo mosaic of the band comprised of 529 close-up Polaroids. So if you take a really close look at the album, you're like, oh shit. Like, I was looking at it, I'm like, how fucking long did it take you to do this? Without computers. Without computers. Because literally a friend of mine, I, <laughs> in within the span of like two hours, I saw a friend of mine post a picture of... Like some some other person's picture that was like that, mm-hmm. that was of their dog. She's like, "How? Aww. Where can I get this done for my dog?" Literally two hours later, she posted a picture of her dog made up of tiny pictures of her dog. I'm like, well, now I feel like cheap saying I was so amazed by the photo mosaic cover. <laughs> Thanks, computers. No, but I would be amazed at the talk at Talking Heads album cover because they had to do that shit by fucking hand seriously though you couldn't you didn't just have to throw a bunch of pictures you had into a filter and they, they did it for photoshop you. they did not they, they had Instagram. their own two fucking hands and their I'm... own brains these look like strong hands don't they <laughs> they look like creative and then, photo hands and then the nothing comes and makes you a photo mosaic yes I, is that how the nothing works that's how um that's the uh, alternative ending of never ending story that was never ending story four yeah Oh, that's it right. There was a three, wasn't there? Oh, and it was horrible. I mean, I never saw three, so. Oh, it, it was. I ugh. ignore its existence. I didn't really even like two very much. No one liked it. But, two. I mean, Jonathan Brandis, R.I.P., Ripperoni. Oh, um, It was okay, but, I mean, 
Number one, the first one is my OG. Yeah. I mean, like you can't, you can't build upon that. I mean, you can't you can't fix perfection? You you can't make a sadder scene oh. than the swamp's sadness. Oh, Our every text. child, every child of the eighties and nineties is scarred by that scene. That's how you learn about death. That is how you learn about Our death. Tax. Though. Our tax. Stupid horse. You stupid horse. <laughs> anyway, bring it back away from that. Ripperoni Artax. <laughs> so shedding the punk scene helped the talk. Shedding the punk scene helped Talking Heads a lot as this album reached number twenty nine on the Billboard charts. They began to cement themselves in the world of commercial success with its only single, a cover of Al Green's "Take Me to the River." Hmm. It's pretty good. Like I said earlier, a lot of Talking Heads' success had to do with timing. New Wave was the music moving the masses. And this, with new Brian Eno team-up, their newly refined sound, was a near perfection of this genre. Their shows and records were selling out, people couldn't get enough of them. Brian didn't just encourage Talking Heads' rhythm section to come out stronger, he also brought influence through the stylings of African music. And this was super evident on their third album, Fear of Music, which might be my favorite. What's what's on that one? I'll get into some of the songs on it. Um, So David really dove into the African music at this point, and it inspired him to write the second single off Fear of Music called Izimbra. Brian brought the poem Gaji Beri Bimba by Dadaist writer Hugo Ball to David's attention, and he created the song from there. The three gentlemen are all credited for the song. The lyrics are nonsensical and the music African dance in nature. So here I am researching the song because Izimbra is a fucking jam. Mm-hmm. This fucking song. This is a booty shaker. Mm-hmm. 100%. So good. And so I'm trying to look up the lyrics. Now, Maggie is not really like an English literature person. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really think about the fact that it's... Dada's move like da Dada's movement. Dada is Dada is yes. Fuck, I see. I can't even say it. <laughs> it's Dada is movement stuff. It's just the Dada movement, right? Which I didn't realize. Like it's it's gibberish. It's it's no, but the lyrics, like the words, are just they're not real words. It's right, not like anything. It's nonsensical. Yeah. The whole point of the movement was to make people uncomfortable. In the sense that um, they have you no don't, fucking idea what's going yeah, on because it works. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand the point. But they're the point is to give a big middle finger to mainstream society. Right. And I didn't understand that. So there goes a half an hour of my <laughs> life trying to look up the fucking lyrics. And then finally I'm like, let me look up Dada-ism. Dada-ism? Just Dada. Just Dada? Yeah. Just Dada. It's just Dada. It's just Dada. <laughs> But I, I, I couldn't figure it out for the longest time. And I'm like, oh, it's gibberish. Well. Oh. I didn't take- Well, you know what? You f- you figured it out. You got there. You I got took there the in local, the end. but I got there. You got there in the end. I did get there in the end. But yes, so that was an interesting thing to learn. Either way, Izimbra, great fucking song. <laughs> because of their funky, fresh beats, they brought on new members to tour with them. Adrian Ballou was playing guitar. Nona Hendricks and Donette McDonald were brought on as backup vocals. Donette. Donette. Like Donna? As in donuts? Like <laughs> b- mini donuts? <laughs> oh my God! Oh no! Those 
Those are delicious. It might be Donette. I might have said her name wrong. I'm really bad at names. Might be Donette. I would have been the worst fucking teacher. The worst. Excuse like, already I'm a bad teacher. Where is Donette? <laughs> like, Donette, it, are you here? It wouldn't even be as funny as that Key and peel bit. Hey, A-Ron. Well, I don't know that. Oh, girl. We gotta watch that later. Keyboardist Bernie Worrell and Steven Scales was brought on as, for percussion. And it was probably a good idea to get some ethnicity up there if you're going to be performing these heavily African-inspired songs. I was songs. just going to say that. Isn't mm-hmm. it funny that at this time period of time, so many white dudes in these bands were like, I'm going to be inspired by Africa. Mm. Hello, I'm a white savior. Mm. <laughs> like, I will. I will address this later and my opinions and I mean, my discoveries he's not the only one i hate to say it, but mick fleetwood did it too oh oh yeah he 100 percent did it brian eno did it heavily yeah that's why he's like hey talking heads we're doing this i'm doing it too i'm brian <laughs> i'm brian eno he was british right brian eno i have no idea i don't know we'll have to do a brian eno episode because he is crazy <laughs> With the addition of more members, that gave David the freedom to play less, but move around more. And here is where his interestingly erratic stage movements began to progress. Fear of Music also included the dark and thoughtful song, Life During Wartime. Apocalyptic in theme, David wrote it trying to convey the outlook of an urban gorilla in their daily life as opposed to just their politics. The lyrics, This ain't no party, this ain't no disco, this ain't no fooling around. Even talking it, I, I can't just, like, you gotta, like, say it the way it's said. It stuck in David's head when he was reminded of a time when people would build bonfires out of Donna Summer Records. Because, Donna Summer Records? Right. Because people hated disco. Oh. And he thought it was funny because they were seen as part of an anti-disco movement. But he claims to really enjoy disco. They never said anything about, like, fuck disco. I mean... And there's it, really nothing wrong with disco. There's nothing wrong with disco, but remember how hated it was, oh, like yeah. late seventies, early eighties. Freaks and geeks, man. Oh, freaks and geeks. They told you how much they hated fucking disco. Oh yeah, they did. And as Talking Heads get more dancey, I don't know how anyone could even view them as anti-disco. Yeah, because there's definitely like just the same kind of heavy disco beats. And honestly, as someone who loves house music. I can't hate disco. No. Because a lot of house music is based on disco. There's a lot of very, very good, well done disco songs. Right? And And hold up. Donna Summer is a fucking treasure. She's great. Fucking goddamn it. (laughs) Overall, holy crap, did Fear of Music do well. It's seen as one of their best albums ever released. NME said it was the best album of 1979. This gave them the confidence to continue to evolve their sound and also contradict themselves. It was hard to truly categorize them after a while because every album is such a different flavor. I listened through their discography and it's so hard to pinpoint a style or a genre or anything to them because they're always evolving. Right. And I'm going to give them credit where credit's due. They did it right. Yeah. They did it sensibly. They didn't have really any big hiccups Mm -hmm. like every album was a sensible progression right so fucking kudos too because most bands can't do that i mean i guess art students know what the fuck they're doing i think you when it comes to art (laughs) well i mean you gotta get the right collection of art students Mm -hmm. 
Don't get a whole group of people whose parents always told them they're special. And granted, Rhode Island School of Art or whatever it was. It was called. Rhode Island, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a pretty good school, right? It's not like they went to SUNY New Paltz. Oh, I mean, like SUNY's fine. I was gonna say, like maybe like that East Coast vibe gives you makes you makes you a little more down to earth. Maybe it's that New England vibe. I don't think New England vibe makes you down to earth. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But but uh, parts of Rhode Island are a dump. That's and <laughs> and Providence, Rhode Island. No offense, is a fucking dump, and that's Ripperoni. where the that's where the school of art is. Yeah. So. If you thought Talking Heads would continue to explore deeper into the Afrobeat sound, well, you'd be right. Their next album, Remain in Light, would be a total culmination of everything they had been building up on to at this point. But this work did not come as quickly or as easily as the others. Up to now, I really haven't discussed much in the ways of group dynamic, but I suppose now is when it needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Talking Heads was a quartet. It would not have worked as well without all of its members as active, moving parts. Just keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. I don't think they would have been successful. However, David was pretty controlling about what the band did and was treated as the leader, despite the contributions and talents of the other three members. And quite frankly, they were over it. Yep. Yeah. What certainly didn't help the situation was upon the release of the album, the band looking at the back of the cover to see the words, all songs by David Byrne, Brian Eno, Talking Heads. As if the other three were mere afterthoughts in the creative process, Um, not main players. The shade of it all. The shade of it all. That's a ballsy move. Yeah. For a skinny dude with a big head. (laughs) Or big dude with a tiny head. Either way, the balls. The balls of it all. The balls. <laughs> capital T, capital B. The balls. And I'm going to throw it a capital S, because why not? Sure. Sure. It's a name scream name now. <laughs> they decided to take a bit of a break after their tour for Fear of Music ended. David and Brian worked on the album My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. Jerry went to work with other musicians. And Chris and Tina spent time traveling and enjoying family life while contemplating the state of the band. They really felt David's need to control was only getting worse, and they wondered how plausible it was for them to all stay together. Something to understand about Tina is she was always sold short by David. Yeah, that checks out. In fact, in general, by music critics, by everyone, Tina is constantly sold short and not given... The dues she properly fucking deserves. I don't think. I know that sounds weird to hear that a female fucking bassist in a all almost all male band doesn't get her dues. But here we are. What are you talking about? I know. I mean, everybody knows her name. I mean, maybe it cheers. (laughs) Making TV jokes. (laughs) So years earlier. As the band was gaining popularity, like right around the time Jerry joined, Mm -hmm. David made her audition three times to keep her spot in the band. Do you know who didn't have to audition? David Byrne? Oh, no, anyone anyone else. It was only Tina. Why? What? Okay. Probably, maybe he thought because she didn't know it or he had to help her learn. I don't know. I don't know. That just seems such fucking bullshit. Have it be known, like the bass parts... 
Tina mostly comes up with on her own. But also, I, I would hope that both Tina and her husband would have been like, um, why? I think because they were such a fledgling band at that point, they just complied. So, oh, it's such bullshit. So, there are things to be said about David Byrne. And, like, he's even said he thinks he might be on the spectrum. Tina's said he's probably autistic. Everyone's like, Dave's got a little bit of spectrum in him. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they were just like, well, that's just David's personality. We're going to go with the flow. I guess if you want to look at it that way, it's fine. Maybe because it was the 70s. And I mean, but Tina's also, even... like, I don't know. Oh, no, it's, oh, it's, it's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. If that happens today in 2019, ladies, ladies, if you're in a band and some man tells you you have to audition to keep your spot, um. You probably don't want to be in that band, the to, band. Begin, to begin with. Start your own fucking band with, like, people who are going to respect you. Yeah. And treat you like an equal. So there's that. Because you can't help but look at a, at a situation like that and be like, he's doing it because she's a woman. Yeah, I can't help it. You can't help it. Because he didn't it. make Chris or Jerry Exactly. Audition. And there was no reason for it. Right. And like, Tina- You come this far with her. She's making her own baseline. She she's, fucking- She became a bassist to help you out. Right. And you're making her fucking audition for her you per- own you position. You for the Ramones at CBGB's with her. Fuck off. Fuck off. Anyway, this might be our rage from this week coming out, but still, fuck off. It's a tired rage, but it's a rage nonetheless. And she even says, you know, she kind of chalks it up in an interview to like, I don't want to say it like this, but being a female in those times, you just weren't respected. And she's like, I hate to put it on that because I feel like that gives it power. But and she's you also like, don't want to use that as an excuse. Right. And she's like, I don't want to use an excuse. Like, fucking respect to Tina. She handles this like a goddamn adult. And she's just like, look, I never wanted to be like, oh, it's because I'm a woman. I never wanted to just, like, have this gripe session about it. Right. I just wanted to come in and do my job. I didn't want this to overshadow my music and my talents. But if nobody really knows that you're coming up with all of your bass lines and you're doing all of this amazing work for this band. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Yeah. You know? It's it's insufferable. If they don't know that shit anyway, then just fucking say it. Yeah. Like, hey, I did this. Just be like, yeah, no, I fucking did this. And this is what David made me fucking go through the well, entire time I was in the band. Yeah. And that's why they've come clean about it since. Good. Yeah. They should be screaming it to everybody. Yeah. yeah there's a really good article about how... Um, Tina has been very overlooked as yeah. a female bassist in and history. To be perfectly honest, I think David Byrne gets way too much credit. Yeah. He is put on a pedestal and I don't understand why. Like, all right, here's my thoughts on David Byrne. I guess I'll I'll interject with that at this at this juncture since we're talking about relations. David Byrne, to me, seems like someone to be difficult to work with. Yes. He seems to me like someone that when you wake up in the morning and you know you have to work with David Byrne, you got to put yourself in the David Byrne mind. Like you wake up and you're like, oh shit, we're recording with David today. All right. Okay. (sighs) Got to do some heavy breathing. I got to figure my shit out because I'm going to work with David and I just got to bite my tongue all day because he's going to be particular. He's going to have a certain way he wants to do things. He's going to have a certain way that things have to sound. 
And he's going to wear a big suit and have a tiny head and not going to get it. <laughs> and really long arms and it's going to be awkward. It's going to be awkward. It's a small studio. I don't Ugh. get it. <laughs> but he's just... but he's got to wear the giant suit. So figure I, it out. I will give him this, though. He is a musical genius. He does come up with great stuff. He still, to this day, is making great music. Yeah. But so, that's not an excuse. Oh, no, it's not an excuse. I'm just saying, in the music world, I'll let him have, like, the title of musical genius. Yeah. But I will also add on to that the moniker of, like, Put a probably a pain next. in the ass to work with. Put a little asterisk on it. Like, and, try to only yeah. work with him for a day or two. Like, try to just, like, listen take to breaks. him. Take breaks. Get yeah. that shit done. Because I'm sure the less you work with him, the better you feel about him. Yeah. 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 So is that. I will say, too, he's worked with a lot more females, and I do wonder if he's become a little less douchey about it. I mean, people can change. They can. So maybe he does regret, well, as much as he can. I don't know how much regrets David Byrne holds on to, to, but I think he's at least shown he has become a bit more progressive with women. Willingly or unwillingly, yeah. Yeah. But at least it is not so egregious to me that I'm going to write him off. That's how yeah. I that's how I feel about David Byrne now. I'm like, pain he has to work with. I'll still listen to your music though. He he's done a lot with Arcade Fire though, and I'm I don't like Arcade Fire. I like Arcade Fire. Nah. There are some hipster bands I like. Don't they're don't. they are too hipster. I cannot also Quebecois. I know. Oh god, they are Quebecois. Disgustingly Quebecois. They did a, but they did, they did a song with David Bowie, and that was real good. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like hipster bands <laughs> like Arcade Fire, Vampire Weekend. Come for me. I might, because oh, woof. It's a playlist I never want to hear. I know when you're not around, I'm like, I'm gonna put on my hipster playlist. <laughs> I've got like my Arcade Fire and my Vampire Weekend and my Saint Vincent, and I'm like just jamming. Yeah, I'm, and you're like, I'm Maggie, safely what the at fuck home. Is this? You like, you know, your fucking spider senses tingle. Maggie's listening. She's listening to them music. again. <laughs> I can feel it. I'm feeling my bones. <laughs> Overall, the band just found David to be difficult to get along with, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. They claimed there was almost an emotional disconnect with him. And he could say one thing, but do the complete opposite. So during their break, Chris and Tina went to the Caribbean and studied Haitian voodoo and native percussion instruments. That's pretty cool. Right? But also, like, why are you guys, like, doing this? We're going to learn all of the music from all of these other cultures that don't belong to us and then take them and bring them to our... I will. I will address this at the end. Okay. Upon their reunion, a decision was made to give Tina, Chris, and Jerry a bit more creative freedom. So instead of them writing music for David's lyrics, David would write lyrics to their music. As it should be. Well, as it could be. As it could be. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) They began a jam session that started off with the song I Zimbra and recorded them onto demo tapes. Eno considered to stop working with Talking Heads, but changed his mind after he heard about the new way they were writing and recording music. They used Fila Kuti's album Aphrodisiac as a template for recording and took a more communal approach in making the songs, much like the African way of making music. 
they, everybody had a part and they contributed as opposed right. to just like, well, this is my part and this is mine. This is mine. It's just how a fucking band should work. Right. It never works that way, but it that's how a band should way, fucking work. How, yeah. Yep. Again, Talking Heads had a hit record on their hands and also an iconic single that once again proved that their sound couldn't be categorized with the song Once in a Lifetime. <laughs> Take, I like this song. It's a good song. Taking inspiration from all sorts of religious ritual, David created a song that was a call and response likened to that of an evangelist, avian, evangel, evangelist, evangelist. <laughs> Do you know how many times I tried to say this fucking word today? I get stumbled up on it too. Likened to that of an evangelist preacher. Using this fervent presentation, it captured the monotony of middle class existence that can drive someone insane. One thing that was key to the musical creation of the song was the bass line, which came about because as they jammed, Chris shouted something to Tina that kind of sounded like a bass line, so she kind of just built upon that. However, Brian misheard exactly which beat it followed and asked Tina to redo it so that the first note didn't fall on the first beat. So it's like, that's why it has such a weird... Like a din- like a weird dun, bouncy thing yeah, because yeah. instead of like being like one two three four it's almost like a rest and one two yeah. three four it's 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 interesting there's a video that compares it's how tina like, heard it to the way brian heard it it's almost like it's two notes that are kind of bouncing on top of each other exactly it's it's like the it's like that black dress white dress what's the black gold dress whatever oh yeah what color is this yeah, dress it's is the it what blue color? and gold or is it black and white or yeah, whatever the fuck it's it like is. that but it's for an ugly music. fucking dress people, is what it is it's <laughs> an ugly fucking dress you're right though but it, yeah it's just like that where like some people hear it one way and some people hear it another way yeah it's really interesting and then you ask yourself how did i get here how did we fucking get here <laughs> some days the album became a huge success in the u.s reaching 19 on the billboard chart but this didn't help the already growing tensions in the band, so they decided a solid break was in order. David continued to work with Brian to release some more songs, Jerry released a solo album called The Red and the Black, and Tina and Chris began a whole new project, a band called The Tom Tom Club. You may think you don't know The Tom Tom no, Club. No, you you know The Tom Tom Club. You fucking know The Tom Tom Club. I promise you, you know Genius of Love. If you don't know it by that name... Than you do either by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Fives, It's Nasty, or Mariah Carey's Fantasy. <laughs> That's a really hard song to sing because it's all there is to it, right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's the song. I'm sure we did a perfect rendition and you know exactly what song we're talking about. I know the lyrics to Fantasy. I don't know their lyrics. I don't know their lyrics is what I'm trying to say. It's a superior song. I'm Squizgar. It's fine. We are Squizgarting real hard. Yep. Chris and Tina would keep this band going for years. And it would be a very successful group. Yeah. While everyone was thriving, even when working apart, majority still wanted to get together as talking heads to make more music. But no one could deny the strain that the Burn eno relationship had on the band. They all took a back seat to that, even though they worked just as hard. So it was decided that they would discontinue with Brian and self-produce their following three albums. The first of those albums was Speaking in Tongues, which had the hit Burning Down the House made even more popular by the mesmerizing music video on MTV. Also on the album was the song This Must Be The Place, 
which wasn't as popular back then, but has since been covered by so many indie bands, Arcade <laughs> Fire, that it is one of their most popular songs. Is this like fucking Old Crow Medicine Show and Wagon Wheel? Like, nobody knows that Old Crow Medicine Show co- or originally did it, but everybody has done so many fucking covers of it that everybody thinks it's by, like, Darius Rucker. You don't know what I'm talking about. I have about. no idea what you're talking about. Oh, I'll have to play it for you. You know the fucking song I'm talking about. All right. 100% All right. you fucking know this song. But I bet Darius and Rucker you hate did it, not come up with I'm, it. No, no, he didn't. And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we have had a discussion on this song and how much we fucking hate it. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I drink a lot. But it's funny because This Must Be The Place is my favorite Talking head song. Oh. And I, I was like eight or nine years ago, I was like, this is a fucking great solid jam. And I did not realize how popular it was or how heavily covered it was. Mm-hmm. And then I did. And I'm like, oh, I'm not special. This isn't special. This isn't unique. Maggie, you basic. Everyone loves this. Must this be the is place. basically a hipster band rite of passage. Oh, my God. It makes so much. This all makes so much yeah. sense now. I'm yeah. kind of a hipster. No, like it's I've just got that, some hipster interests. No, it's just that sometimes we like hipster music, and that's fine because sometimes, on those rare occasions, there is some good hipster music. But I am definitely—it's just much more into it than you are. I used to be really into it, and then I'm like, this all sounds the same. I'm done. I like metal. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, leave me alone. I'm in the corner listening to my metal. Me, me. <laughs> You're having your Axl Rose moment in the corner. Devin Townsend on repeat. <laughs> you, will you come out of the house if you go see Devin Townsend? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is your Axl Rose moment. Yeah. I love it. It's fine. We all have it. It's fine. There's actually a movie, I haven't seen it, with Sean Penn called This Must Be the Place. And there's a scene where he's talking to a kid who's like, Yeah, that's by Arcade Fire. And he's like, you're crazy. It's by the talking heads. And it's like the funniest scene I've ever seen. I've never even seen the movie, but the fucking scene is hilarious. Because even I'm like, God, I fucking hate kids. Yep. I feel even like- I can like I like Arcade Fire, but you know what? I know who originally did the fucking song. Yep. It's my fucking claim to fame is I know shit about music. When it came to visuals, talking heads would change the game with their concert film for the tour called Stop Making Sense. Many claimed it to be one of the greatest rock movies ever made. It was filmed over four nights and cost the band $1.2 million to make. What? Right? It consists of so many moving pieces, from the minimalist beginning of David playing acoustic to moving set pieces, dancing lamps, big suits, high-energy choreography. It's just a general nonstop experience, and it actually is a very great film, and you can get it on YouTube. It's really fun to watch. Like, just put it on in the background and you're cleaning your house. It's like if a band made an art house movie. It, it, yep, yep, yeah. 100%. That's exactly what it is. Yep. Yeah. It's exactly what you think a talking heads <laughs> movie would be. But it's really good. And, uh, Documentary Now did the spoof on it and it's actually pretty cute. <laughs> so, there you go. Aww. Yeah. This gave the band a chance to share their performance with the masses and really express themselves creatively. Let's not forget art students. Yes. And like you said, it's an art house concert. Right. Totally. Speaking in tongues would be the last tour for Talking Heads. Tina said she felt as if David decided the movie would do the touring for them, as it seemed to everyone that he was slowly branching into film and acting and having less interest in the band itself. Mm Mm-hmm. 
They continued to make music together, even though David was becoming increasingly more controlling of the band and what they did. Tensions were rising, and drug use was getting heavy as a way to deal with the stress. Hmm. There is not a ton about the drug use. They are very private about that. I, as one would be. I don't think there was heroin. <laughs> they don't seem like a they heroin. They don't seem like probably of... a cocaine. Probably coke. There's probably, probably a, a lot pot. of coke. There's a lot of coke going around. Probably maybe t- some hallucinogenics. Yeah. 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 Hallucinogenics. hallucinogenics and cocaine, probably. Tina and Chris do allude to it in some interviews where they say Chris had a real problem and Tina got to a point where it's like, look, for the sake of our marriage and the kids, you either need to knock this shit off or we're done. Yeah. So they have been married 42 years, but it hasn't been a perfect 42 years. But again, they were working with David Burns, so I hope secret? you don't assume. Is that are, are those the secrets? David Byrne and a serious drug use is how you stay married for 42 years? All right. So if All you right, want to get, get married, married, never get married. Well, if you want to get married, you got to be friends with David Byrne and you have to have a cocaine addiction. Mm-hmm. But you're going to cure them you know what? It's, through the marriage. It's not worth it. No, it's not I'm worth sorry, it. Sorry. It's not worth it. You're right. You're not wrong. I mean, you're probably going to spend more money on the wedding than you would on all the drugs you're going to do anyway. So you're going to waste a lot of money. Yeah. Weddings are a fucking scam. (laughs) Don't do it. Strap. 1985 saw the release of their album, Little Creatures, which included the hits, And She Was, and Road to Nowhere. We're on the road to nowhere. Which is my second favorite. That song always reminds me of the movie Little Monsters. Mm. Because it plays at the end when they're running on the beach. Yes. Oh, I forgot. That's a cute movie. I love that movie. That's a great fucking movie. It's like the one thing I can actually do with Howie Mandelin. Truth. Right? Wow. Yeah. That was a great movie, though. So good job, good. Howie Mandel, for having one thing that to redeem yourself. With. I always thought it was very like risque that they had the scene where um Howie Mandel's monster guy pees in the guy's um apple juice, yes! and, and puts the cat food in his tuna fish sandwich. And I'm like, oh. Oh, so scandalous! He peed in it. Oh my god, he peed in apple juice. He peed oh in my. it. Oh, they showed him peeing in it. What you didn't know is, 30 years later, you'd be doing a podcast where you definitely <laughs> wanted Devin Townsend to sing into your vagina. <laughs> exactly. Scandal. This. <laughs> We were affected by little monsters way more than we thought we were. Yeah, right? Like, the 80s were a weird time, guys. It was. If you were not a child, or born and or a child in the 80s, you don't understand. If you weren't affected by, A, Howie Mandel peeing into some kid's (laughs) apple Apple juice juice. jar, and B, David Bowie's package in Labyrinth, I don't know who you are. Howie Mandel would definitely be on a sex predator list for doing that. (laughs) He would. (laughs) He would. David Bowie would be on a sex predator list for his fucking package. Yeah, and Labyrinth. like trying to seduce a 16-year-old girl. Exactly. Oh my god, was every man in the 80s just a sexual predator? Jennifer Lawrence was, f- I think she was 14 when she filmed that movie. Woof. She might have been 16. I think she I th- was 16. I th- maybe they cast no, her Sarah, when she was 14. Sarah Connolly. Jessica. Je- Jennifer. Jennifer Connolly. Jennifer Connolly. Yep. You know what? Talking heads. Squizgar. We were squizgarting real hard. (laughs) So Little Creatures became their best-selling studio album, going double platinum. And the following year, David directed and starred in a film called True Stories, a movie that was a series of vignettes surrounding his character of an unnamed man wearing a cowboy hat. Talking Heads did a majority of the music for the movie. And at the time, it was not a commercial success, but it has since gained a cult following. 
because art house. Yeah, you can't hear you can't hear me, but I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah, you cannot hear her roll her eyes, but I think she's done it seven times, and I think all I see are the whites of her eyes now. In '88, Talking Heads released their eighth and final studio album, Naked, which is real good, like seriously underrated. The band created about 40 improv tracks before going to France to record with a slew of international musicians. And like I said, like it's such a creative and worldly album and sincerely underrated. Mm-hmm. Go listen to Naked. If I was going to tell you two Talking Head albums to listen to, Fear of Music, Naked. Those are like tight butthole albums. <laughs> Despite following the same method of writing music then lyrics, there was still an immense strain between the bandmates. So they decidedly went on a big hiatus. Mm-hmm. David continued his solo work. Chris and Tina kept up with the Tom Tom Club, and Jerry moved into the production side of music. Overall, the band was always ready to get Talking Heads back into the studio. But that was put to bed when in 1991, they read in the LA Times that David said the band was done. This was a big disrespect for the band, who already felt as if David didn't want to work with them. Understandably, they're still a little upset about it. To this day. There's so many band stories that end this way, and it's such bullshit. Like, you don't even have the fucking balls to tell your own bandmates you don't want to, like, do the band anymore. Yeah. Now, David says, and I think this is, again, learning what I've learned about David Byrne, I think this is plausible. He's like, I just figured they already knew. Because, again, I think he just has this level of not... He's just the worst kind of friend. He is the worst kind of friend. I think he lacks a level of empathy to understand that, like, no, your friends don't know and you might need to spell it out. Yeah, I I get the impression that he thinks everybody else lives inside of his head so he doesn't have to explain anything. And that comes off as being a dick. Yeah, honestly, that does. Because you're just assuming people know what you're talking about and... And when they say, like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Can you explain it? You're like, well, why do I have to explain it? You're just, you're fucking telling it to me. Or why do I have to explain it? Like, I'm. It's in my brain. It's in my brain. Like, why don't you you just fucking know? Why are you not on the same fucking wavelength as me? Yeah. Like, why aren't you just getting this? Exactly. I'm sending it to you via brainwave. (laughs) (laughs) Tina, Chris, and Jerry didn't want to let David's departure stop them from working together. So in 1996, they got back together, just calling themselves The Heads and making an album called No Talking, Just Head. (laughs) (laughs) This clever name came about because they had no other choice after David sued them. (laughs) Uh, Of course he did. Of course he did. He said using the Talking Heads name without him in it would do irreparable damage to the band. Would they it? Yep. Would it? Would it? They eventually settled in court by agreeing to use a different name. Despite collaborations with other seminal artists like Debbie Harry, Gordon Gano, and Michael Hutchins, the album didn't oh, really... Michael Hutchins. I know. The album didn't really do much to move the masses. Mm-hmm. With all this bad blood, you'd probably be hard-pressed to ever get them to work together, let alone be together in the same room. But, surprisingly, they did reunite once for their induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2002. That always gets them back together. Not always. Not always, but... I'm actually impressed when it does. Yeah. Right? 
They performed some of their old standards, like Life During Wartime, Burning Down the House, and Psycho Killer. And they are by no means on good terms. There will always be a lot of unresolved issues here. You know, David claims they never reached out to him and did things behind his back, but it's also pretty obvious that some of the members, especially Tina, got overlooked by him despite their hard work. Yep. So... It's really just like a lot of just he said, she said bullshit. So that he said, she said bullshit. Thank okay, you, sorry. Fred Durst. <laughs> so I, I at this point call it a wash. I'm sure like, I'm not going to say Chris, Tina and Jerry were perfect. I'm sure they oh, did no. their own level of shit too. I am sure when they were younger, maybe even when they were older. Right. If they felt that David was slighting them in some way, they were probably assholes back. Right. And, uh, you know, like, David, again, just seems like a difficult person to work with. Right. So, uh, I, you know what? I'm calling and it a wash. probably knew that from the beginning. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you didn't have all four members, you would not have all the monumental music that they put out. It's just unfortunate that at the end of the day, some people aren't able to work out their differences. Right. But it's good to look at it for what it is and appreciate what they gave us when they were together. The story raised... The question in me that it may have raised in you, definitely raised in you, mm-hmm. is this cultural appropriation? Yeah. All right. I've done my research. They had a heavy African influence in their music, and one may wonder, come on, white people, what are you doing? Right. I'm not using it as an excuse, but we were not woke in the 70s and 80s. But that's it, not that's not oh, my only was, thing. It was definitely a sign of the times because it was a sign they of the were times. not the only band to do no, this they by were not. a long shot. Not an excuse. This was very much like the thing to do was mm-hmm. have bands from America and from the UK and oh, whatnot. Oh yeah. Go to Africa and be like, I'm experiencing all of these fantastic things and I'm taking them all back with me and making millions of dollars off of them. Right, right. Yeah. And I agree that at first I wanted to give them the wave of the finger. I'm like, what are you fucking doing? But kind of after looking at their music and the story, I don't see it as a negative the way I did before. Mm-hmm. It's not in as much of a negative light for me. They have all respectably collaborated with international artists. And it reads more to me as a celebration and an attempt to expose the West to this kind of music. Now, I am speaking as a white woman. I get it. Like, from the West. I don't get to call things cultural. Like, I don't get to make that decision for you. Right. Especially if you're a person of color. I, and I'm not trying to make that decision for you. I'm just saying where I'm coming from. I'm also someone who was a huge Japanophile and, like, loved Asian culture. Maybe dressed as a geisha when she was younger. But it wasn't because I was like, teehee, I'm funny. It's like, I fucking love this culture. And when I look at it. You didn't want to be it. You had a reverence for it. Yes. I had a love and a respect for it. And I still do. Like, I fucking still love Japan. I think it's beautiful, but it doesn't definitely has its flaws in some ways, too. But I think that's where the talking head. That's where talking heads were coming from (laughs) is they loved it. They loved the culture. They loved the music. They loved how these people worked. And they, they promote it. They don't just, like, take it and sell it as their own. They do promote but, it. But, but were they giving their profits from this kind of music to organizations that were that supported these African musicians that were helping them? I think they do. Now. I don't know about back in the day, but they are better about it now. Like, even David has been relatively outspoken, especially about, like, 
the racism spouted by our current president. Right. He went so far to create a playlist called The Beautiful Shitholes <laughs> on his website, <laughs> and it's comprised solely of African and Caribbean musicians to show off their creativity that they pour out constantly. And he's always trying to say, like, buy this artist's music, buy this artist's music. Right. And it's the same for all of them. They're all, they, yes, have taken it on into their music. And yes, it's a sign of the times. And But, but I they're say it's still a labor doing of things for it. They're yeah, still like they're promoting still, it. And I, I look at it as like a mutual love and respect. I hope that other um, artists that came, that were around that time doing the same thing mm-hmm. are doing this also. Yeah. I really don't know. I don't like, know and I don't think so. I, but... I don't think Mick Fleetwood is. <laughs> I'm mm. not sure. I'm not sure about Paul Simon because he... He might be. He you know might what? be I would give it to Paul Simon. He had a very, very deep yeah. effect yeah. from going to Africa. Right. And that didn't last just one album. So I would hope that he's doing more. I, I think I he does. I can't speak for it. I really have no idea. Yeah. But I dipped my toe into this subject. Right. But I, I'm going to give the Talking Heads a pass and say I think that they have, yes, taken parts of... African culture into their music, but have also yeah. paid it back. But then and again, support them and encourage people to buy their music and listen to their yeah. music. But then again, it's also it's not our wheelhouse. It's not it's, a, you know it's yeah. not our thing to decide. So. No, it's not. Again, like if if it does, if you're like I'm not going to listen to Talking Heads because I feel like they totally understood. I'm not going to fight you on it. That is not the hill I'm dying on. Mm-mm. Just my personal conclusion is I feel like. They do it from a place of love and respect, and they have since gone back to say, like, yes, listen to our music, but also, like, this is where we got it from. And they do credit people from where they get it from. Mm-hmm. It's it's a fucking thin line. It's still a touchy subject. It's a touchy but... subject. And again, you feel how you got to feel about it. This is just how I feel. But people from their generation... I mean, they're doing more than anybody else would do, right. I think. And in a world where this podcast has made me sincerely question a lot of musicians, <laughs> these this is innocuous compared to some of the shit we've discovered. Yep. To me. Yep. To, again, to me. I'm not speaking for you. This podcast fucking made us jaded. Yeah. I mean, I was already a little jaded. Podcast oh. doesn't help. Oh. Rip-a-roni. We thought we were jaded. And this podcast is like... <laughs> But did you know this? And I'm like, nope. Oh, oh, is this your favorite musician? But did you know this? I'm like, ooh. But did you know this? Now I hate Lindsey Buckingham. I've always hated (laughs) Lindsey Buckingham. I didn't until this podcast. (laughs) I convinced you. You did a good job of it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my story on the talking head or on talking heads. It's just the talking heads. I mean, we're going to say it forever. It's a fucking talking You head. know what? If this makes David Byrne come over to me and talk to me, I'm okay with it. Um, It's just talking heads. Excuse it's not the talking excuse heads. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> just talking heads. It's just talking heads. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's going to say it that sensually, but... He might. He, he might. has a pretty sensual voice. And I will, I will suggest, uh, yeah, from... Uh, you know, everybody's still doing music. Like I said, Jerry's more production. Um, I think Chris and Tina just do kind of side indie projects. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tom Tom Club isn't really doing anything either anymore. David Byrne just works with everybody, basically. But he also came out with a musical. This is um, Here Lies Love, and it's he collaborated with Fatboy Slim. It is so good. Look that up. 
Holy shit. So good. I love it. I don't, I don't, no, that's at the bottom of my no, list. No, no. You might not even mind it. It's not like house music-y, it's dance music-y. I'm going to throw you a couple songs. You might be like, all right, it guest spots people like Tori Amos, Cindy Lauper, Florence Welsh. I mean, that's Am I bringing great. you in? Am I bringing you in? No, not really. God damn it. All right, well, fuck it. I'm done. I'm over it. Thanks for listening. Fuck this. I'm flipping the table. I'm not going to flip the table. We have too much expensive shit here. Bye. No, we have to do Patreon yes. stuff. All right, no. Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate you. We really love you. Thank you so much for just... Giving us time to talk shit and be squiz garden for an episode. Yeah, we we squiz guard real hard. Yeah, we did. Squiz guard real hard. Squiz guard real hard. But we did it. And if you want to continue a conversation, whether it's about how you feel about talking heads and cultural appropriation. Or you how can, you feel about anything. Honestly, how you feel about anything. It's fine. We'll talk. And uh, you can just, like, go to our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com, one-stop shop. You can find our social media links there, or you can just comment on episodes or toss us an email. That would be cool, cool, cool. If you really like us, you can support us in other ways. Like Patreon. Yup. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry we haven't, like, gotten our shit together. It's been... <laughs> it's been a fucking week. Guys, it's... It's been a month. I mean, it's been a month, but also the week... Is probably the worst week we've ever had in our lives. It is really, really horrible. And uh, we just couldn't think of anything else aside from our dear friend that we've lost. Yeah. Um. So hopefully y'all can under-fucking-stand. <laughs> under-fucking-stand. That's, stop using that. So. <laughs> no, actually, that's the thing. You guys have really been understanding and patient. We're sorry we didn't release an episode last week. Um. We couldn't. Yeah, we couldn't. Mentally or physically. Um, but we're back and we're going to get back into the swing of shit. So thank you yeah, all so for we're being gonna, so understanding. <laughs> we're going to finish doing our Patreon shit and we'll post something next week for all of y'all that have contributed. Indeed. Which brings us to the next part, which is shouting out our new patrons. New patron! Airhorns! We only have one this week. So get on it. But the the always lovely Matthew Shepard. Yes, thank you, Matt. Thank you so much for contributing. You're lovely. Also, go check out his lovely band, Finial. Yes, they are wonderful. Great time, local Troy band. Indeed. Support local bands. Support local music. Always. And yeah, I mean, if you want to give to our Patreon and have us airhorn you, <laughs> we will uh, airhorn you. We will airhorn the shit out of you. That sounds then- like a gross sexual act, but we'll do it. <laughs> We might get patrons that way. Patrons. (laughs) Patrons. Quibic Quibic Yes, uh, you can visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. Pretty easy. You can give us whatever you want to give us. It's fine. We're happy. You can even give us one fucking dollar. We're happy. One dollar helps. We're happy. Everybody's happy. Yeah. You're going to cry, and then I'm going to cry, and then we're all going to cry. I mean, we're probably going to cry after this. It's fine. Yeah. I've been crying a lot for the past week, guys. It's fine. <laughs> Hug your fucking loved ones. Yeah. Tell your real. friends you love them. And yeah, I think that's where we'll end it on. So we'll see you kids next week for more crazy fucking tales. And until then, party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. Party on you crazy kids out there. Indeed. Hi, I'm Nomad, host for the Career Musician Podcast. 
In my 30 years plus as a professional musician, I've done just about everything to earn a living in this crazy biz. Studio musician, world tours, local club gigs, teaching, composing for TV and film, you name it, I've done it. Through this process, I've curated a vast network of talented music makers and shakers. So now I'm sharing with you their insider look of the industry with advice and anecdotes of which I think you'll thoroughly enjoy. It is my desire to inspire, motivate, teach, and reappropriate the power that musicians have in the art of music itself. The Career Musician Podcast with your host, Nomad. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 